Hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. You're listening to PHLY Flyers. That's right, PHLY. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games on this uh, Monday morning. Yeah. This is basically like 5 a.m. Bill time. We don't do a lot of <laughs> morning shows, so this is a little bit different. Joining me, as always, Philadelphia's number one hockey beat reporter, it is Charlie O'Connor. Charlie, I just, it's just very funny. I appreciate our, our chat getting started already. Dave P. Man climbs Comcast Tower to oppose hockey team winning streak. That's right. <laughs> Our flyers are going streaking. They sure are. Uh, they're going through the quad, <laughs> and they have now won five in a row. And we're going to get to all sorts of uh, very serious and entertaining flyers conversation. A lot to discuss. We haven't done a live show together since Thursday. And they've won their fourth and fifth straight game since then. A lot going on. So the big question on everyone's mind, Aaron Nola, Charlie, the floor is yours. Oh, my God. No, I just, I really, <laughs> I really, really appreciated your take on Aaron Nola. Not necessarily because I agree with it, but because it shows me deep down, you're still, yeah, you're a hockey journalist. But deep down, you're as emotional and ridiculous as the rest yeah. of us. Yeah, I can objectively say that the <laughs> Phillies needed a number two starter and maybe Aaron Nola made the most sense, but I am just so sick of watching Aaron Nola pitch that I can't possibly get excited about it. Uh, it, it. It really, really just made me laugh. And I was like, I, you know what? Charlie was the, uh, the de facto Phillies writer for PHLY during the playoff run. So had to, had to bring it up for a Fair second. <laughs> a lot of things to get to before we get started with the important stuff. Uh, Felix Sandstrom, when are we going to find out he clears and no one wants him it's around a couple two, hours? around 2 p.m. Yeah. yeah, and so he was finally put on waivers yesterday. Yesterday, We talked about this, about the weirdness of the fact that they were carrying three goalies. Now, granted, for the past few weeks, they were carrying three goalies because Felix Sandstrom was injured. He was on IR, but it looks like Felix Sandstrom is now healthy, and they have decided they no longer want to play this three-goalie thing, and they're going to waive him with the attempt to send him down to the minors if he, if he clears. I guess we'll see in a couple hours if there was a reason why they were so terrified to waive him in the first place. That's, I'm very. I'm, we'll see. I doubt it. I doubt I, it too. Like, but you never know. You know, there's all, all it takes is one. All it takes right? is one it just team takes to think he's one good. team yeah. to be like, you know what? We think we've seen something in Felix Sandstrom, but it would be surprising to me if he were to get claimed. Um, I, and I say this: I like Felix Sandstrom as yeah. a person. He's a fun guy to interview. He's a good dude. I don't know why a team would want Felix Sandstrom. It seems as if at this point, his absolute ceiling is. Some guy. Yeah, like passable back. Regular, just yeah. any team. Who's playing tonight? Oh, they're back up. Yeah. Who? Yeah, they're back up. Some guy. Yeah. That, like, <laughs> that seems like his ceiling. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, this is not to disparage Felix Sandstrom in any way. No, like, if you were to, if you were to break professional out. Professional goalie. I couldn't score on or him. Or somewhere else. Yeah. Good for him. I'd be very happy <laughs> for him. It's just he's been at the pro level in multiple leagues for quite a while and has never really shown Regular. himself to be an above average goalie anywhere. Hey, if another team thinks they can turn him into something great, Godspeed, good luck, Felix Asher. So Charlie, this week, this week, Thursday to be exact, I'm told it's, it's always on a Thursday. American Thanksgiving. Sources tell me it's usually it's on a Thursday. Usually on, <laughs> we had this discussion in this office like a couple of days ago and someone was like, Oh, Oh, it is always on. It was just, it was very, very <laughs> funny. Uh, but anyway. Got real professionals here. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the importance, and this being a hockey show, we must always distinguish. It's American Thanksgiving uh, because Canadian Thanksgiving, when they discover like, or when they celebrate some uh, guy's failure to discover the Northwest Passage or something, <laughs> uh, that's in October. It's an anti-Canada the, xenophobia. Yes, of course. The importance of American Thanksgiving is that if you go back to the first year out of the lockout, 05-06, if you're in a playoff spot on American Thanksgiving, those teams make the playoffs 76.3. Over three-quarters of the teams in playoff spots right now statistically will be in the playoffs when they begin. The Flyers. They're there. <laughs> They're in they a sure playoff are. spot. They're <laughs> second in the division behind the very good New York Rangers. Uh, we started out, you know, I pointed out the comment, like someone is going to you know protest that this team has won five in a row, which <laughs> is your right as an American. 
Uh, that's why we celebrate Thanksgiving, I'm pretty sure. Um, yep, definitely. That's why. <laughs> uh, Charlie, what does... What should we be rooting for? Well, I think you should be rooting for the Flyers to win. If if you're a fan of the team, and I understand very much, I wrote an article on it Saturday really going into all of my thoughts on where the Flyers stand. But on an individual game basis, I don't know, I don't know how one can truly, when watching a game, turn off their fan, like whatever, and actively root for the Flyers to lose. I, I don't, I'm sure some people can do it, and I guess props to you if you can. But I don't know how you can be watching a game of a team that you've rooted for 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 some people decades, and when they score a goal, you say, "God damn it, that's, that's not what that's not what I want to happen." Like, like, I think people naturally get excited when the team's winning, and the team's winning, and it's fun. The last two seasons, especially in the second halves, I've been able to just be like, "Losses are wins." Like I it was, but it's because I was mad at them. Right. Like Claude Giroux gets traded and like the whole thing just turns to a shit show. Like, oh yeah, I'm rooting for them. No, I want them to lose to experience the misery I am experiencing <laughs> watching them. And then last season it was like, well, what's even the point of this? Yeah. Now, like it's, we, we talked in the beginning, like if this was just Carter Hart and he's got a 950 save percentage, like who cares? This team is actively good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they are. This could all end tomorrow. We've been watching this team for the last 10 years. The 10 game losing streak is always around the corner. It's always possible. It's, it's a constant looming threat. <laughs> you know, like, but as of this very moment, they are not playing like a team that is going to just fall off the table. Yeah. Like, they look actually good if they were to make the playoffs playing this way they would have as much chance as a first round win as anybody i mean i would i don't know if i'd go quite that okay, far not vegas or like, <laughs> I just, but, like in a first round matchup like the two three look look uh, yeah they could win that yeah, hockey's random they yeah. would probably play against a team that on paper would be more talented and would look more impressive on paper but weird shit happens all the That's time been the first 18 games of the season like the boston bruins had like the best record ever and they lost in the first round torts weird shit happens it. torts did it with that columbus <laughs> team he beat the that tampa team that was the best since the 96 red wings like this stuff i'm just like in the position they're in right now so they get that that metro two three they can win that Maybe like that's a, that's a coin flip. The two, three, maybe, but like, what does this mean? Big picture. It, it, it would, it would be goddamn hysterical. It would be very fun. If they come out and go, yeah, we're rebuilding. It's going to be a while. And then make the playoffs that year. That's objectively hilarious just because it's so flyers. Um, big picture rebuild wise though. Because they're rebuilding for a reason. Yeah. They don't have top-end talent. They're not, they can beat Vegas and play with Vegas all they want on a one-night basis. In a seven-game series, they ain't winning. Like, won't happen. Yeah. And that's or the At the goal. very least, they're not winning four straight series against good teams. And, and, yeah, they're not beating <laughs> that caliber of yeah. team a whole bunch of times yeah. in seven-game series. You get figured out eventually. Yeah. The goal is to be one of those teams that other teams can't beat four times in seven. Does this actually, does this actively hurt the rebuild, what they're doing right now? Or is it just like, oh, this is an anomaly? Well, so I guess to, to preface that, I will say that it is still very early. Now, we can say that, you know, we could talk about the Thanksgiving thing. We could talk about the fact that, you know, they're playing well from an underlying standpoint. They look better. We could say all those things. It's still very possible the wheels could fall off from under this team. Always. Guys could turn back into pumpkins. Like, it could happen. So, we are if not— If Travis Sanheim stops looking like Alex Petrangelo, it's over. Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> like, whole, the whole Thanksgiving thing of, like, well, 76% of the teams make the playoffs— Honestly, like, yes, that is a thing. However, good teams are good. Good teams are good. That's part like there's there's also 24% of the teams that don't because 24% of the teams weren't that good. And then over the course of the next three quarters of the season, that gets figured out. We've seen the Flyers win 10 straight <laughs> and miss the playoffs. Yes. They're only halfway there right now. So they've only won five straight. Yeah. So so to preface all this, I do not want to say that I am 100% on board with the idea that they are making the playoffs. However, and this is something I really tried to dive into in the piece I published on allphly.com on Saturday, just this idea of what does it mean for the rebuild. And I was, I just spent a good, like 
three or four hours after that Saturday game, after they beat Vegas, just like kind of staring at my computer and just typing stuff on a Word document, just like <laughs> kind of just word vomiting. Like, okay, what does the, like, how do I feel about this? What are the implications? And then I combined it all and turned it into an outline and wrote an article on it. But where I kind of came around on is that, and, and I go back to something I said in the summer because people were asking me, What's the difference between once it became clear that they probably weren't going to trade Konechny, that you know that they they made rebuild moves, but they hadn't blown the thing up, and people asked me, well, what's the difference between this and the Hextall rebuild? And I said, honestly, to me, the big difference between this and the Hextall rebuild is that Hextall had Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek and Wayne Simmons. He had guys that were not going to allow this team to be bad. They were just so damn good. And this Flyers team doesn't have that, so they will probably be bad for a few more years, which will allow them to get higher picks. If the influence of John Tortorella and the improvement of a few guys like Travis Sanheim, like Joel Farabee, like Travis Konechny, if that allows them to be better than the sum of their parts, then honestly, and I know people are going to wince at this, but in all honesty, this kind of becomes the Hextall rebuild. And I know people are going to be horrified by that because the Hextall rebuild didn't work. The thing is, is that the Hextall rebuild could have worked. It didn't, but it could have. If this version of Travis Sanheim shows up during the Hextall era, we're having a totally well, different... Well, see, to me, it's less, it's less even I that. To me, the key difference is this. And I, I talked about this on Twitter a little bit, I think on Saturday or Sunday, is that, look... We can look back now and we can say, you know, Hextall, the player development development wasn't as good. He picked the wrong coaches. Like there was a lot of stuff where the wrong coach, I guess. Fletcher then picked the wrong coach in Vino. But there was a lot of stuff that in retrospect you can you can pick at and you can say, Hextall did it wrong. This is why his rebuild didn't work. But at its core, at its real core, if you take Nolan Patrick and Ivan Provorov, and you turn those are your two top 10 picks of the Hextall rebuild, and you turn them into Miko Rantanen and Kale McCarr, the Hextall rebuild probably works. It probably works. Like it's, maybe they don't win a cup, but they are a contender. So really, if if this Flyers uh, team is good now, if they are good, and I'm not saying I'm not saying cup good. I'm saying good as in they're not getting top 10 picks, those days are done. And they're exiting the the being bad phase with two top 10 picks. Basically, they need, they really, really, really need Mitchkoff to be a superstar and Gauthier to be at least a star. Because what we saw with the Hextall rebuild is that if you only have two top 10 picks, you better fucking nail them. And he did it. He busted one of them and the other one was just decent. Now, if you give those two picks to Hextall and they're both stars, I think that the heck, that rebuild works. The thing is, is that, and this is why having the top 10 picks, having as many top 10 picks as possible is so important is because it gives you more margin for You're error. You're going to miss. You give, it gives you more margin for error. If you have five top 10 picks, you can miss on two of them, but if three of them hit, you're set. If you have two top 10 picks, you have to hit both of them. If Mitchkoff and Gauthier both hit, this can work because you're, what you have right now with the Flyers is you have a team that has if if this holds, if we assume that this is the new Travis Sanheim, this is the new Joel Farabee, Travis Konechny is this guy, the guy 40 from— 40 yeah, maybe 50 yes. goals. Owen Tippett is legit. If these guys are all for real, the Flyers are set with a good second tier. They have a great second tier of not quite stars, but legitimately really good players. Their big, their big flaw is they don't have the stars. Now, if you take that team and you put— Mitchkoff and Gauthier hitting their ceilings on that team, that's a contender. But those two guys have to friggin' hit their ceilings. So what this does is that I don't think this ruins the rebuild. But what it does is it just makes it, it makes it a narrow, narrower path to it working. And it working means that Mitchkoff and Gauthier had better hit their ceilings. I, I like the framing of the Hextall rebuild is something we can all wrap our minds around because we watched it, but we it's also it. frustrating yeah, because it, it didn't ultimately work. didn't work. And yeah. I have gone on to call it a half measure. And it was, I don't think they went far enough. And coming into this year, I thought the difference was, yeah, Konechny and Couturier, if they're healthy are good, they are not Giroux and Voracek. Yeah, um, they're not. Konechny a lot closer than I thought. And <laughs> Couturier is... He'll never be the offensive talent G was, but 
uh, he affects the game. It, like he impacts wins and losses, maybe as much as G did without the offensive upside. I know that worries people because the Hextall rebuild was a failure. Right. He's no longer here. He is now flamed out in both Pennsylvania teams. Yep. <laughs> Doesn't look like he can be a GM in the NHL. Least popular guy in the state. What if, and it's funny because it's, it's Hextall's uh, old team. What if we frame it as the Kings rebuild? Right. Because the Kings are legitimately a cup contender. Guess who's still on that team? Kopitar and Dowdy. Yeah. And... If you're looking for, well, can can Couturier keep this up? Like, can these guys? Well, <laughs> look at Kopitar. Look at Jordan Stahl. These dudes are still damn effective, at least in the roles they're in. Mm-hmm. Like that, you might be able to, you might to be be able to be a little optimistic about a quote unquote like not complete tear down rebuild because it, it has worked elsewhere, even though. It failed miserably yeah. here. I, I think the the excitement around them announcing the rebuild was we're gonna a plan. do was number one, it was a plan, but number two, it was it was an implication that like we're gonna do this differently than the last time. And the thing <laughs> is, is that that's what I think has so many people scared. And I don't even think that was their intention. I think they built a team figuring this team wasn't gonna be that yeah. good. But they're also not going to like they're not going to f- intentionally flatten the tires of this team now that it looks better than they thought it was going to be. They're just going to let it ride. So they're kind of like falling half backwards into a repeat of the Hextall rebuild. And the hope, like the hope here, if it ends up being Hex- Hextall rebuild 2.0, the hope is number one, Mitchkoff and Gauthier proved to be way better than Patrick and Provorov. Number two, the infrastructure of the team is better. Like you have a GM who can make better trades than Hextall did and make better signings than Hextall did. You have a player development staff that can do a better job of turning the draft picks into good players. Now, did they actually improve the infrastructure? They think they did. I guess we'll see. And that'll only be proven out with time. But that would be their view of like why it'll be different. It's that our top prospects are better than our top prospects were six years ago. And the people we have running the show are more competent than the guys we had running the show six years ago. And to that point, like no matter what you think of Tortorella, no matter what you think of Dave Hackstall, John Tortorella is not a first-time head coach. No, he is a much better coach like, than Dave like, Or at least a much better coach than the Dave Hackstall. Like original Dave, yeah, like Dave Hackstall might end up being goddamn like the best coach of all time. But like in his first job, yeah, he, wasn't. he wasn't. John Tortorella is going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Like these things, he's objectively better. So at least you do have that infrastructure. So I ask these questions, Charlie, and I will get to the first read in a second. I have not forgotten about it. <laughs> uh, I ask these questions to now say... If we are going to like not shift our big picture focus, because the big picture focus still has to be how do we have a team ready to compete for a Stanley Cup the day Matt Mishkov arrives? That has to be the big picture focus in my mind. I agree. But the focus for this season, we have talked a few times about the idea maybe these guys just earned the right, at least not you don't go out and add but maybe you don't subtract. What does it mean if they don't sell? And looking at what they actually have to trade, maybe you want Atkinson, Hathaway, Lawton, TK, whatever, whoever your flavor is that you want to see traded. Those guys all have term left. Yeah. So you can easily trade them in the off season, yeah, trade, them, a summer next, thing, trade them next year, whatever it is. Yeah. You're looking at right now, Walker and seal and stall and stall. I forget. Yeah, stall was, yeah. And stall as well. Sure. Uh, <laughs> that guy. He can't play for this team, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> these guys now, Sean Walker, we're going to get to in a bit, but like, is the return of what you're going to get for these dudes who are going to be unrestricted free agents after this season worth the, oh man, like they have a good culture going right now. Yeah, they, they have do. a good thing. They do. Is it worth Taking them away to maybe, oh, yeah, we got a couple of second-round picks for Sean Walker. Is that worth not giving these dudes the experience of competing for a playoff run? Again, this is something where, like, let's see where they're at in January. Let's see, you know, this if, is if, all if, hypothetical down-the-line shit. I mean, to me, if I'm the Flyers, like, if the Flyers are still sitting in a wild-card spot come the beginning of February, like, I would say... 
I think you could very easily, even if they're in the mix, you could very easily justify and not not have, position it as a oh my god we're selling, but you could very easily justify selling one of Sealer or Stall because they just don't have enough spots easily. for everybody. Yeah, and they're and not just that say, good. Yeah, and just say like, hey, if anybody wants a vet to be their seven, we have like eight. Now that Risto's <laughs> healthy or whatever, here take Stall for a fourth round pick or whatever. Here you go. That would be easy. The real question to me is on Sean Walker. Like Sean, and, and we'll get into him in more in depth a little bit later because I wrote a feature on him that got released today at allphly.com. Real good. Check that out. But Walker's the big one because he's playing such a big role. He's playing so well. Now, granted, he could turn back into a pumpkin in a month or two. You never know. But assuming he's still playing this well, he's the fascinating one because if you trade him, you are kneecapping the main reason why your second pair is doing so well and you don't have a deep blue line in terms of guys who can carry pairs it's basically Sandheim and walker right now and that's it and you trade walker you're basically you're you're waving the white flag to me if they're in a wild card spot in february you got to explore all options you got to look at it to me what i would do if i'm if i'm danny i go to walker and i basically say look we're not going to keep you as a rental. Like we're not going to keep you just to roll and just to keep you and then watch you leave for nothing. Our two options here are we either trade you with the deadline or we resign you to a deal that works for us. So what do you want? And you find out what they want. If they're, if their ask is way too high, then you say, okay, we're going to start shopping you. And you kind of weigh that. Then you have an idea of in the market, what is this guy worth? Like, what can we get for him? Because if, if people, if other teams look at Sean Walker and say, yeah, he's having a good year this year, but like, don't forget last year, LA couldn't give him away. So we'll give you maybe like a third. Then maybe you look at it and you say, eh, we'll keep him. whatever. If teams are offering you like a conditional first, then it's like, okay, now, Sean, if you want to stay in Philly, like you better give us a sweetheart deal and kind of use it as a, because I think Walker likes it here. I think he loves playing for John Tortorella. So maybe you, you, maybe you work it in a situation where you basically say, we're taking, keeping you and letting you leave for nothing off the table. It's either we trade you or we resign you and then try to kind of play those two things off each other. That's what I would do if I were Danny. Man, it's it's very exciting talking about this team right now, the possibilities. Could they be in a playoff spot? You can check it out for yourself, and the best way to do that is by using Game Time. Listen, buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. They have a couple of home games coming up. The one I always enjoy is that uh, that, that Black Friday, Friday matinee game. Yeah. Always a good time. The Rangers coming into town. This could be... It's going to be a battle for first place. Who knows? It's going to be an Eastern Conference final preview. Who <laughs> is to say? I don't think it would work that way. They'd have to meet in the second yeah, round. Yeah, well, right? the Flyers would have to go to the wild card and then yeah. get flipped to the other bracket. Well, I guess it's theoretically possible. It's theoretically possible. <laughs> but either way, it's definitely possible for you to check it out with Game Time because Game Time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Black Friday, you go out, you get all your shopping done and say, honey... Let's go watch some hockey now. Get, open up game time. It's like two clicks. Boom. You know exactly what you're Man, spending you, you right away. To, you would have to be like at there at midnight. You have to do all your shopping <laughs> in the morning. Oh, then yeah. you take a little nap. You wake up for the, like the 1 p.m. start. It's perfect. Yeah. It's absolutely perfect. And you can get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. So snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code PHLY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, Char Charlie, we've basically talked the Sean Walker conversation, but we really have to get into the season he's having right now. Because it's 
unbelievable. Like if he's Danny, playing really well. Like one of our mailbag questions that we will do mailbag Monday on Tuesday is like, well, assess. Are you a little worried about Danny Breer's talent evaluation because he was basically ready to give away Travis Sanheim, and now Travis Sanheim's a number one. Everybody was ready to give yeah, away like, Travis Sanheim. If you saw this coming, you're a goddamn genius. <laughs> and if we're gonna if we're gonna say ding him for Sanheim. I don't care if it was a throw-in. You have to give him credit for Sean Walker. Yeah. Like, if one yeah. means you have to do the other. Also, I'm probably the biggest Travis Sanheim fan, like, around. And I was like, hey, if you can trade him, get out from under that contract yes! ASAP. Charlie is the Sanheim <laughs> defender in this town. And he was like, Jesus, this deal. Like, yeah, like, no one's. But anyway. Uh, so, the idea of this contract extension, the possibility of this. Walker you're talking about? For Sean Walker. Okay. Yeah. I just wish he was 26 years old. Yeah, that would be like, better. It would make, just but if he, was, if he was 26 years old, as a result, he probably wouldn't have got thrown into that deal. Probably. It's just, it would be cool if they could keep him. If it shortens the timeline, it's one less thing you got to look for. We're not just like, all right, Oliver Bonk has to be a hit. Yeah. Or like, you have something. It just doesn't fit. There's no way... And maybe you could go and sign him again in the offseason, but for me, a 29-year-old right-handed defenseman pacing for half a point a game, this is what every team is looking for at the deadline. Literally everyone could use one of these except apparently the Kings. Uh, <laughs> like, this is the thing. Like, this is found money. It is. And he's 29. He's an unrestricted free agent. I read your article. You know, he hasn't signed his unorthodox path to the NHL means he's never signed that big contract. Yeah. This is it for him. Yeah. If you somehow trick him into a two or three year deal because his agent's a moron. All right, cool. But that's not going to happen. He would be financially irresponsible to not hit free agency. Like just looking at the defensemen who are going to be available. There's some good names. None of them really bring what he brings between sub 30 because he's going to play basically all next year, like 30. Yeah. Like, and the points he's produced, the way he can skate, the minutes he plays, he's going to get a big contract. Stars don't hit free agency anymore. Uh, he would be a dummy to sign before he hits July 1st. Yeah, I, I think my view of the wall of the idea of extending Walker is that like I'm not I, I would not give him any more than like three years. And I would why not, would and, and I would not want to break the bank. Now that's why I'm saying, and I said it a few minutes ago, I would absolutely have a conversation with his representation yeah. and be like, "Look, like this is where we're at as a team. Uh, we're not going to sign you to a six, seven year deal, a five, six, seven year deal. Like that's not where we're at. It doesn't make sense for us. If you think you can get that on the open market, like." Good luck. And and not saying that in a bad way. Just like, this doesn't fit for us. If you want to talk about a shorter-term deal, we're there. Because we love what you've brought to the table. And I do think there's an element of, like, again, all this depends on whether they keep this up. If, they, if the whole team falls off, then it's a no-brainer. Trade Walker for whatever you can. Of course. But if this team is a, is a bubble playoff team, if this team makes the playoffs this year, suddenly, like, you're then you're then looking to be competitive over the next couple of years rather than looking to just sell everything that moves. So you'll want a guy like Sean Walker. If he's legit, if this is, is really his new normal, you'll want him in your top four. So I get why they would broach the subject of an extension, but I do, I do wonder from, from your perspective, like what would that, what would that deal look like? I do, certainly don't want them to overpay him because look, I love what I've seen from Sean Walker. It's been 18 games. He's 29. And this is a guy who had a major knee injury who's never looked this good before. So you you want, if you're going to resign him, if you're going to talk about talk extension, you want to make sure it's a reasonable extension. And hey, maybe it would be. Maybe, like, we truly don't know what the rest of the league thinks of Sean Walker right that's now. Fair. Maybe yeah. the rest of the league will look at this and just be like, yeah, that's not for real. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll take him as a rental. He, he would be a good cog on our third pair. But, like, the idea that Sean Walker is a top four defenseman, you know, that's who he is, we don't buy that. So maybe there isn't a huge market for him. Maybe they look at him the same way that, like, I think Nick Jensen signed, like, a deal that I would think to be— I, I want to look at the exact details of that deal that he signed, the last contract he signed, I believe, with Washington— but maybe that's how teams around the league would uh, would view Sean Walker. And if that's the case, 
I think the Flyers, yeah, it, it could make sense. But you obviously want to avoid something with like serious term big money. And that's, I have a couple of things. Like first, a quote from your story from him. It's not, there's a Sandheim quote in here. I can't wait for everyone oh, to yeah, come yeah. across. Uh, but this is, uh, this is a quote from Sean Walker from your story on him. It is my contract year as well. So that's something too. I've got to show this organization, and if this isn't where I end up staying, other organizations that I belong in the league, hopefully I can do that for a long time. Yeah. Noting it's his contract year and saying for a long time, and other organizations tell me he wants his goddamn seven years. He would like term. He (laughs) would like term. And who wouldn't? Yeah. But but yeah, yeah, going back to Nick Jensen, I just looked it up. So he signed um, in 2019, so that would have been when he was 29. He signed a four-year deal worth $2.5 million a year. Then Washington kept him, I believe it was last February, on a three-year deal worth $4.05 million a year. Like, if that's the ask from Sean Walker, like, those those deals to me are perfectly fine. Neither of them were super long-term. Neither of them broke the bank. If that's where his, his market value is, that could work, both from a term and a value standpoint. If he, if you talk to his camp and they're like, the only way we're going to give up on free agency is if you give him a six-year deal worth $5 million a year, it's like, okay, bye, Sean. We're going to trade you. And I guess now it gets to the conversation of, do you think this is for real? And again, this is, time will tell. We will find out the answer to this question. But I want to know right now. Okay. Because, like, <laughs> listen, like, Torts maybe has unlocked something in Walker. It's totally possible. I'm not saying this is a fluke because I'm watching it. I'm watching a good hockey yeah, player. Yeah, you're watching a like, this guy playing really well. Like, this isn't this just isn't a bunch fluky. of lucky shit happening. Agreed. And it's like, oh, what, what's happening? Like, yeah. He's playing really freaking well. Yeah. But you do have to get back to, like, you look at his pedigree and you do have to acknowledge the possibility that this is the absolute best we ever see him play. True. This man was not only undrafted in the NHL, undrafted in Canadian Major Junior. He's never been thought of as this high-end guy that we're seeing right now. He's got 10 points in 18 games. He had 13 and 70. By fucking Saturday, he's going to have more points than he did last season. <laughs> yeah, right? Like That's just what it's going to be. He's on a 46-point pace. He averaged a 24-point pace in his first 232 career games. That's not a small sample size. The difference, there are differences, though. He averaged under 17 minutes a game in his first five seasons in the NHL. He's over 21 right now. Also, he's getting special teams time. Uh, he's on the power play, which yeah. is wild. And he doesn't look terrible. He had one shorthanded assist, one power play assist last night. Four of his 10 points have come on special teams. He had nine total special teams points prior to this season. He's just getting more usage and he's making, he's taking advantage of it. Also, you talked about the knee injury and how that kind of bumped him down in your article. Let us not forget the role COVID could have played in his development. He played 39 games in 1819. Then he, you know, has the 70 game season, 1920. He's breaking out. And then all hell breaks loose globally. Yeah, it gets paused. Who the hell knows what he could have like ascended to? And then, of course, you know, he comes back, he gets injured, and the Kings are absolutely freaking horrible the first like three years he's in the league. So how can you really I bet you think everyone on those teams stunk. <laughs> like, so all this is to say, I think he might actually be for real. He might be an outlier, late bloomer, 29. We're actually seeing what we have in this guy. We need look no further than the man playing more minutes than him on this team, Travis Sanheim. Some, de- some dudes take longer. Yeah. Some dudes take longer. <sighs> I think he's for real. I also think they have to trade you him. still think they should like, trade I him. just don't see a scenario where it makes sense for either side. It, it's fair. Like, uh, Yes, there are, like, oh, well, if he's interested in two or three years, why would he be? Yeah. And why would he do that? The only thing I can see is he just wants one because the league looks at him and goes, this ain't for real. So he goes, okay, I'll do it again. That's the only, yeah. and then he hits it, and then he hits free agency at 30. Maybe, but I but don't that know. that doesn't make sense either. I, I guess where I'm at with Walker in terms of how I evaluate him, I, I think he's absolutely a good defenseman. 
I think that last year, you know, he didn't he didn't play that well last year. He told me in that interview he didn't feel fully healthy until January. And by then, he was buried down the lineup because the the Kings just had so many solid defensemen, particularly on the right side. They they had guys come in, it was just a logjam and he just got lost in the shuffle. So I definitely think that like if you're looking at last year and you're saying, you know, this is a fluke because he wasn't that good last year. There's a very obvious reason why he wasn't that good last year. He was coming back from a major knee injury where he blew out two of his ligaments the year before. That's fine. I also think that he does fit really well in Tortorella's system. I think this is a case of a guy who is a good defenseman who might be an ideal fit with this team, which is another reason why I wonder, like, if if he has some self-awareness and he looks at the situation and he's like, look, I think I'm good, but I think this team, the way this team plays is perfect for me. And if I want to have my best years maybe I shouldn't look for the most money. I should look for the best fit. I think like the one thing that John Tortorella said that Walker said that even, even Walker's teammates told me when I was doing this interview was that it's the aggressiveness that makes it all work because John Tortorella has been screaming from the heavens that he wants his defenseman to play aggressive. He wants them to pinch. He wants them to kill plays in the neutral zone. He wants to carry the puck through the neutral zone. He wants them to activate in the offensive zone. And you know, we talked about guys like Cam York, where Cam York, when he got when he showed up last season, he didn't believe that that's actually what Tortorella wanted. Well, Sean Walker comes in, and this is a guy who probably his whole career had been told not to do those things. He comes into the Flyers, and he shows up at camp, and John Torrell is saying, do all of these things. And Walker's like, well, shit, that's what I've always wanted to do my whole career. And then he goes out and does them and shows that if he's allowed to do everything that he's always felt plays to his strengths as a player— he can be a darn good player. I think that's for real. I think there's legitimately a really good player-coach stylistic fit here. So I think that, well, let me put it this way. I think if you traded Sean Walker to another team, I do not think he would necessarily replicate They would maybe have this, buyer's remorse. This level of play. I think he would still be fine. I don't think he would be this good. But I think he just may have kind of lucked into a situation that can get the most out of him, which is why, again, maybe he evaluates the situation and says to himself, you know what, this just might be the best fit, and I will take a little bit less to stay for two, three years because I want to have my best years under John Tortorella, a coach that trusts me and a coach who tells me to do the things I already want to do on the And ice. just like the aggressiveness, like the jumping in the offensive zone, all that stuff we've seen. I just look at his uh, shorthanded assist last night. That was and a great play. The way he's, the way he sprung that two on zero. Yeah, it was fantastic. Look where he was. He's on the penalty kill. Yeah. He's a defenseman. He's at the blue line. Like that's just, that's what Tortorella is looking no, for. Exactly. Maybe it really is the perfect fit. It might be. It's funny actually. So I had the uh, the three stars of the game last night, ah. and I was so and like because I, I went back and forth, and probably like a few minutes into the third period, I'm like. I know he only had two secondary assists, but I think I'm going to give Sean Walker the first star. I think he's been the best player on the ice. And then he had that awful turnover and penalty. And I'm like, I have to bump him down to two. Like, <laughs> I know they didn't score on the power, play, but like, that was just such a, like, just, it, it didn't, it didn't no. overshadow all the other good things he did. But it's like, after that play, I can't put you at number no, one. Uh, Charlie, what I'm laughing at is that you take something so stupid as <laughs> the three stars so seriously. I very much appreciate that about you. Uh, we're talking, you know what? It's Sean Walker looking to collect his next big paycheck, but I am calling all card collectors right now. Uh, Wheelhouse is our go-to sports card gift and apparel shop in the Delaware Valley. Their motto is cards and community because love of sports unites us all. They carry all your favorite card brands like Topps Chrome Baseball and Mosaic Football, as well as T-shirts, hats, and hoodies from brands like Mitchell & Ness, 47 Brand, Junk Food, Starter, and Shide Vintage Sports. And if you're looking to grade your sports card collection, well, you're in luck. Wheelhouse offers P. PSA grading submissions. They also host tons of different family-friendly events and birthday parties every month. Stop into either of their stores in Wayne or Westchester, which are open seven days a week at 11 a.m., and use code PHLY to get $10 off any purchase of 25 or more in store. That's right, a $10 off promo code PHLY in the store. And also be sure to give them a follow on Instagram at at 
wheelhouse cards. You know, Black Friday coming up, we're all like, oh, well, I'll just do some shopping online, this and that. Go to the brick and mortar. Use your in-store discount code. You won't be disappointed in wheelhouse cards. Uh, where were we, Charlie? I've totally lost my train of thought. Well, now. we were talking about Sean Walker. Yeah, Sean Walker. We, I, I think we were we were moving towards talking about the rest of the defense and slowly yeah. but surely getting to that great Travis Sanheim quote. The the I, I, do, <laughs> do you even want to give the Sanheim quote away, or do you want to let people find it on their own? I, you know, it was funny. Now that we're talking about we, it, we, we need to we say it. Talk. Basically, yeah. like. I interviewed Travis Sanheim for this piece, and it, it was one of those those quotes where you kind of like do a double take. Like, there's that. There's you know, that, you're on the record, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it was on the record. Yeah, no, but, I mean, like, like it, you're, it, you're asking him, like, you know, I'm recording I, this. I think like there's that there's that clip from Family Guy, like original Family Guy, where like Brian accidentally says like upside down face about the kid, and then Stewie just like looks at him and like slowly turns his head to like this ridiculous degree, like, oh my god, you actually said that, and that was kind of like my reaction to Sanheim saying this. So I'm, I, the the impetus behind this quote was. John Tortorella told us when I was in the process of coming up with with things for this piece, um, when I was basically just like digging about Sean Walker, he told us that one of the things he loves the most about Walker is how competitive he is and that we in the media don't see it because we're up in the press box. But you can really tell when Walker comes back to the ice and he had a shift that he doesn't think was good enough in his estimation that you can tell because he's just got this like look on his face. He's got this reaction where you can tell he's holding himself to this extremely high standard. John Torello always talks about the importance of the standard. The standard is the standard. The standard is the standard. And that Torello loves that in Walker. So I was like, that's interesting. I wonder what some of Sean Walker's bench antics are when he thinks he has a bad shift. Like, let me ask his teammates what he does on the bench. So I asked Travis Sanheim, you know, I've heard that Walker, when he has a bad shift, is clearly angry on the bench. What is that like? And Sanheim responded with, well, I wouldn't say he goes overboard. I think it's more he knows when he could be better. I think it's a good thing. It's good when guys recognize their mistakes. I've seen it the other way when guys don't recognize their mistakes and then think they played a perfect game. I think he does a great job at recognizing that. And like Tord said, he's very passionate and competitive. And was I mean, the timing of this article <laughs> purposeful for perhaps... The Flyers opponent a night ago. I mean, no, but it was perfect <laughs> because I don't think we and, all know who Travis Sanheim's talking about. Yeah, it's Ivan Pro. It's Ivan Pro. And and the thing is, is like I didn't even feel like I had to in the piece no. highlight it because I knew that people were going to read it and immediately know like the reference here. And look, is it possible that Travis Sanheim was talking about some nebulous person that he remembers from his junior hockey days? Sure. But, but I he think he was probably he was talking, talking about, about Ivan Provorov. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's that's Sean Walker. Like we're going to be having this conversation about him until his play falls off, or they sign him to an extension, or they trade him, or the season ends and he's still here. And we're like, oh, so this guy who's about to like go be a number three defenseman on a Stanley Cup contender, we could have got something for him. And no, he's just walking. We're going to be having this conversation for like at least the next Absolutely. six months. Uh, I want to talk about the rest of the defense though. Beginning with a decision that John Tortorella made that is shocking to me, quite honestly. Because for the last few weeks, at least last week, maybe two, Igor Zamula has been trending in the direction, oh, he's the clear number six, yeah. and I bet you he's coming out of this lineup real soon. He probably deserves to. Mark Stahl is cleared ahead of the weekend back-to-backs. We do not see Mark Stahl. Now... I want to give you my conspiracy theory first. Mark Stahl is actually not cleared. And they're doing this to curry favor with the people. They're not giving any of the kids a chance. They're scratching Brink. They're scratching Frost. And it's, well, we're leaving Zamula in. Look. And it's like, you're leaving him in because you have to. Now, I don't <laughs> believe this is actually what's happening. It's a conspiracy theory I want to put out there so I can be the one who said they said it first. Uh, but this decision to keep Mark Stahl out of the lineup is it just be, they're winning? Because we saw him make other changes despite them winning, and beating the Stanley Cup champs, and then taking Morgan Frost out. Mark Stoll's available. He's towards his guy. Zamula hasn't been great leading up to this. What do we make of all well, of I, I the decision-making here? I do think he is cleared. I absolutely think he's okay. cleared. I don't think this is some conspiracy theory. I do <laughs> think that part of it might be that... 
they're waiting to see what happens with Sandstrom before they because Stahl is still technically on injured reserve right now. Uh, okay. Now they could easily pull him off. They have enough space in their uh, like in their twenty three man that they could pull him off. But maybe they're waiting to see like they're waiting to send Sandstrom down or lose him entirely before they pull Stahl off injured reserve, knowing that Ristolainen is coming back soon. That's possible. That said, this just plays into the whole thing, and I I talk about this in the piece that I wrote on Saturday about the rebuild and about how well they're playing. Like, it's not that they're not rebuilding. It's that they're trying to thread this needle of trying to win versus trying to rebuild. Like, if they were only trying to win, they were only trying to win, that's all that mattered, then they would have put Mark Stahl in immediately over Igor Zimol. Igor Zimol didn't even play in the third period in Carolina because he was so ineffective. Sometimes like, you got to watch. Like, but that, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, they I clearly am. made a decision that even though Mark Stahl might give us, you know, three, four-tenths of a percentage point better chance of winning on Saturday, that it's more important to get Igor Zamola back in the back in the game and let him play through it. And I thought, honestly, against Vegas, he was fine. He was much better against Vegas this time than he was the last time when he got walked in the third period. So, hey, give him a chance to show that he can improve against a team that made him look stupid a few weeks ago. With Zamola, though, like, he probably does need to sit for a little bit He's not playing that well on the hall. He's had some good games, but he's had some really he's rough He's bounced plays. back since we were like, ooh, he's coming out. Yeah, well, like, the Carolina the, game was real bad. Yeah. that's And then the weekend happened, and it's like, oh, it's not that bad. It's, he's fine. Like, yeah. he can stay hidden, but yeah. it's just very odd he got that opportunity when, like, oh, yeah, Morgan Frost doesn't score a point, he's out. <laughs> it's just, I find this whole thing intriguing. I, that's that's the only way I can put it. Is it's intriguing, it's intriguing. to me. It, and, but it, again, it shows that like it's not that they're not rebuilding. He told us it's, he's not going to lose sight of the kids, yeah, and he's not. It's that they're they're just they're trying to weigh all these things. And look, as John Turtle said on Friday when we really grilled him on this, he's like, "Look, this is our philosophy. You can agree with it, you can disagree with it, but I'm going to tell you straight up what we're doing. And what they're doing is this this constant balancing act of trying to win." Versus trying to develop. Now, you can call them out on what seems like the hypocrisies of, like, what the hell are you doing with Morgan Frost? Why did you pull Bobby Brink out of the lineup for three games? Why does Brink go out before Forster stays in, even though he had had a goal in 17 games? Like, that's fine. And you can pick at it, and we're going to pick at it. But I do think that the Zamola versus Stahl situation does show that, like, they're not, they're not ignoring the needs of the kids. They're just looking at it on a case-by-case basis, and sometimes we're going to agree, and sometimes we're not. We're trying to peer inside the Flyers locker room, but all you got to do to get into our locker room is go to phlylocker.com for our Black Friday sale. That's right. We are having a blowout sale for the uh, Black Friday and the weekend thereafter. 25% off everything. And if you spend 75 or more, you see it right there if you're watching on YouTube. You get a $15 gift card for later. And just this is a personal thing for me. We don't have like... Uh, uh, like copy we're supposed to read for this they're just like yeah let's promote the sale yeah. go block by the one flyer shirt that's available <laughs> it's a very cool 16-bit like uh, nhl 94 yeah the old, the uh, old school video games. like uh, bobby clark rendering basically i don't know if we can say bobby clark but it's a dude in orange and black wearing, wearing a 16. c and number 16 yeah, pretty clear you can, who it is. You, you can guess <laughs> who it is probably um Go get that so that they take some of my ideas for other flyer shit and we can actually, like, you know, have uh, not just be the little brother, the flyers. Yeah. You know, the flyers are good right now. Show some support to us. Show some support to the flyers. Go to phlylocker.com. No better time than uh, Black Friday for your 25% off sale and get the Bobby Clark shirt. Uh, so that's that. Speaking of Bobby's, Bobby Brink. I want to just talk about this whole rotation. We don't have a ton of time left yeah. in the show, but this entire rotation, I brought this up to you last night, but it's it's hard to have these like in-depth conversations when you're on Ecamm and I'm here. Yeah, I agree. I'm done with the show. I'm just trying to set you up so I can go home. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I asked about like Paling, specifically Ryan Paling's place, because he is now the team's 3C. Noah Cates bumped down to four. Morgan Frost is... You know, he's a bubble guy. B Bobby Brink finds his way back in, scores a goal. I think Brink is... I compared him to maybe Leo Carlson last night. Maybe they're just not going to play him in every game, but he's clearly one of their best forwards. Which would be fine. It's and and the, fact totally that, fine. the fact that he came back in on Sunday does lend credence to that theory because 
normally they won. normally you would never they not only did they win on Saturday they took down the freaking Golden they beat Knights. Vegas and it wasn't luck yeah like they played they hung right with like them. listen Vegas is better yeah of course they are but like they played with them the entire game yeah and they did before too yeah, but and then they bring time, Brink back in anyway they bring Brink in regardless. which shows you that maybe it is partially an intentional rotation they're just managing him maybe yeah uh, but with this idea of Ryan Paling maybe Ryan Paling is only a fourth liner Totally possible, but there is a chance he could be a three C in this league. Yeah. It, it, he's it's only possible. a couple months. He's like three or four months older than Morgan Frost. No, it's possible. Sure. Morgan Frost might have a higher end possibility of being an effective three C in the NHL, but he has a zero percent chance of doing it here. I am just making. I am coming to this conclusion because it's what they're telling me. Yeah. It actually doesn't matter if Morgan Frost is good or bad. He's just not going to do it here, so it doesn't matter. Ryan Paling, probably not going to be the 3C, but he has a non-zero possibility of a future role here, regardless of what it is. So his development, his playing time, whatever you want to categorize it as, is just more important because he could be a future piece, and Morgan Frost will not be no yeah, matter what. I mean, that's fair, but again, like the only reason why we're saying that Morgan Frost can't be a future piece is because they don't like, it's kind of like a chicken and egg thing. It's because they don't believe he can be a future piece. Like he could be a future piece if they gave him a shot. And look, I've expressed my skepticism multiple times about Morgan Frost fit with this team. All I want is for them to give him a chance to show whether he can or can't be a part of this. And they continue to jerk him around. I feel bad for the kid. I do. But at this point, it's pretty clear that they view Morgan Frost as an offense-only guy. They do. And as I broke it down on the uh, on the show yesterday, on the post game when I came on, I, I really think what it boils down to is they wanted to give Paling a shot in this offensively-oriented role, which leaves one spot available, fourth-line center. They don't think Frost can play that role. They know Cates can, so Frost comes out. And then Frost comes back in, you know, Brink, whatever, but they look at Brink as an offense-only creative guy. So if they're going to bring back in an offense-only creative guy, the offense-only creative guy who's in the lineup is coming out, and that's Morgan Frost. Look, at this point, it's getting harder and harder to find where Morgan Frost fits long-term. I feel bad for the kid. I would like nothing more than just to give him 82 games this year, sink or swim. If you do well, you stay. If you don't do well, we move you. And also, there's the fact that if he's not playing, it's only going to lower his trade value further, which isn't the greatest way to manage an asset. But... The other thing I go back to, and I also said this on the post-game show if you didn't watch, as much as I think that the Frost situation is being mishandled, and I do, the fact of the matter is, is that when he's out of the lineup, I, I don't miss him. Like, I, I just, I, I don't miss him. When he's not playing, it's kind of like whatever. They, they they don't really miss a beat without him. And it just, it just serves as a reminder that, like, look, I think they should, I think they could be handling the situation better I also don't think Morgan Frost is essential to this team's future. And I just, yeah, like in theory, again, like Morgan Frost, higher end possibility of being a 3C in this league. But this is why John Tortorella is here. Yeah. He, I picture him like Santa, maybe Krampus. Uh, like, nice list and naughty list. Yeah, like he's got the <laughs> nice list and he's got the naughty list. And unlike an elf, there ain't room for everybody on the nice list. And no matter what Morgan Frost does, if Morgan Frost clears the shelters of the PSPCA and adopts <laughs> every dog on the streets, John Tortorella ain't going to put him on the nice list still. So it just doesn't matter. He's just going to be one of the broken eggs. Like that's what it is. And... I think it's something you have to accept if John Tortorella is going to have the amount of authority he does here, yeah. and it's clear he's running the show, yeah. or at least has equal authority to the general manager. I think he's absolutely running the show in terms of the lineups. Oh. I think it's, it's abundantly clear that like Danny Briere and Keith Jones are not looking over his shoulder, doing what supposedly Hextall did with Hextall and saying, you got to play this guy, you got to play him here, put him in this role, that they're giving John Tortorella Ignoring Dr. T, being like, no, Andrew McDonald isn't number one, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like, it, it's pretty clear that they're letting Torts do what he wants to do with the lineups. And what he wants to do with the lineups is not play Morgan Frost a ton. It's very clear that he has total authority over that. And because of that, in this rebuild, that means he has 
at least equal authority to the GM in the direction this thing takes personnel-wise. Now, Agreed. Danny, we've, we've mentioned it a few times. They could always pull the money ball and trade someone out from under Torts. And yeah. so, well, guess what? Now you have to play Morgan Frost. I would then not be surprised if it's like, actually, I really, really need Ali Lixell up here. Like, <laughs> that yeah. wouldn't shock yeah. me at all. I need Sam Utuamalo up here. Like, that wouldn't shock me. Uh, but if he's going to be this, it's just the way it, like... Sorry, Morgan Frost is out. Doesn't matter if he's good or bad. Yeah, and then all you just, if you're a Flyers fan, all you can do is hope that, and not saying that people should be rooting against Morgan Frost, but you just hope that they're right. Like, you you just hope that they are correct in evaluating Morgan Frost as, like, just a guy rather than someone who in three years is going to pop up on Anaheim and score 70 points. It Like, I, yes and no. It might not matter if he's good if the team's good. Oh, well, that's fair. Like, that's you, fair. do you think? Do you think Colorado's like, oh damn, Matt Duchesne and Ryan O'Reilly? You know, like, eh, sometimes you just lose out on guys because yeah. we have other dudes. Yeah, like I just see that. I guess talking, yeah. I mean, if they're competing for cups, who gives a yes. shit? But if he could be a piece that helps them and they're not, yes, yeah. then obviously we look at it, and then he is Patrick Sharp. Yeah. We're talking it might not matter if Morgan Frost looks good, but it does matter if you look good, sure and does. that's why you got to shop at FOCO because FOCO is the absolute best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. Whether you're looking for team apparel for the season ahead, they've got overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, and bags, whatever you need for game day, or maybe you're in the market for some of their uh, toys, collectibles, and novelty items for your man cave, she shed, or podcast set, you've got to use FOCO for all your team gear needs. FOCO always has our back for Philly sports and they have yours too. get the best gear around by using the link in the description of the show. And for all non presale items, use promo code PHLY for 10% off. That's promo code PHLY for 10% off FOCO. It's better than Morgan Frost. Uh, <laughs> Ouch. That's just mean. I didn't have anything. It was just the last thing I said. Uh, we only have a couple of minutes left and I'm glad because I wanted to get this in last night and it was just like, this is, this is we've taken up enough of Charlie's time. I had about 30 young children <laughs> yeah, screaming behind me. Just kids going wild. They're giving Charlie buddy ears. I was like, oh, this it is this so is what funny. it's like to do college game. Day. Yeah, it was very <laughs> that's exactly I thought it added color, honestly. Uh but so and apparently I'm dead wrong about this because did Nick Delorier got the dog mask last night? He did. I thought last night was I I am a fan of his. He's one of my favorite players on the team. I'm a barbarian who loves the fights. I was critical of his signing, but that's just a roster management sure. thing. I love enforcers. I thought last night was like the argument against it because there's clearly no intimidation factor. Fights Olivier early. Okay. Nice little scrap. No one really got anything in. Olivier pl played a little bit of defense, used his reach to keep him at bay. Whatever. Uh... Later in the game, Delorier on ice. Scrum in front of the Flyers net. Sanheim, gloved punch to the face. There's some pushing and shoving. There's no retribution. Tyson Forster, boarded. Clearly, no penalty. Pushed from behind, headfirst into the boards. Nothing. Delorier on the ice. Olivier trying to start shit with Hathaway. Beating him up. Ignoring Delorier. Didn't care if there was retribution. The intimidation factor is non-existent. And I'm not saying this to dog on Delorier specifically. You're seeing it in Toronto. They're already scratching Ryan Reeves. And, like, Brad Marchand's taking runs at them, chirping their bench, and, like, no one's doing anything about it. Like, I thought last night was an argument against Delorier being a staple in the lineup because ain't no one was protected out there last night. Look, what I can tell you is that, and the fact that he got the dog mask shows this. I'm the, wrong. The yeah. players believe it. <laughs> like whether it ex whether it exists or I not, know, the know. players believe it. The players probably would look at that and say, "Man, that Olivier guy was running all over the place. Imagine how bad it would have been if we didn't have Deloria." I'm not. I'm just what, saying. Are you gonna pull a gun? No, but I'm. But I'm just saying that's that's the way play. Like, and look, part of the thing with the dog mask is the way it always is in the locker room right. is. The, the way it's given out is the guy who had it the last game gives it out. And I believe it was sealer. Yeah. So Nick sealer is obviously given, you know, his mentality, his way of his style of play is going to be more impressed with someone like Delorier, who is more akin to the way he plays. Nick sealer owes everything to Delorier. <laughs> that fight, is true. I forgot about because that. Because fighting 
him made his career. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, listen, I just wanted to get that. It's not like the most important Billy, thing. You might, you might be right. All I'm I saying know. is that the players disagree. It the players me. love having someone like Delaria. It team. pains me. Because, like, I always saw myself, if I was in, I didn't play past high school. If I was going to be a player, I would be that guy. Yeah, I be, never saw myself scoring goals. Yeah. I was going to be protecting my teammates out there. I just saw what happened last night and was like, I, this is not a great argument for lineup the, staple. The Nick fight Delorean. that he had when it was just like, they got tired and they patted each other. That was I really funny, that. though. Oh, no, that, was that was really funny. It was great. It was awesome. <laughs> I love it. I'm just like... If DeLaurier has to be in the lineup every night, like if that's the argument, last night I would roll the tape. All right, that is all the time we have for you on PHLY Flyers for today. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. You know what to do. Follow us right here on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at PHLY underscore Flyers. Make sure you're following the podcast wherever you get those. You know what to do. All right, my name is Bill Matz. For Charlie O'Connor, suck it, Andy.